Good Monday, one and all. This is Kevin McDonald, your host of the New Mexico in Focus podcast. We thank you for tuning in. Today is Monday, January 24th, 2022. We hope everybody had a terrific weekend. Most importantly, we hope everyone in your circle is safe, is healthy, and uh, ready to tackle another great week. We've got a great show for you here today. Uh, this is uh, from our Our Land series, which is the only broadcast environmental series in the state. And we have a lot of great content for you. Again, our correspondent there, Laura Paskus, you know her, you love her, as do we. Recently, she caught up with Michael Dax, who's a uh, program director for the Wildlands Network. And they did a Facebook Live about a new draft wildlife corridors action plan from the New Mexico Department of Transportation, as well as the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish. What are wildlife corridors? You may wonder what that is. We did an R-Land on that about two years ago, and we'll put a link to that in the description here, but it's just what it seems. It's uh, working with the Department of Transportation to come up with safe ways for our wildlife to cross, especially the highways. And again, this is uh, a discussion about a draft action plan for this, and we will also have in the link to the show description Uh, that action plan as well as how you can find out when upcoming public meetings on this for comment will happen and how you can register for those as well. This whole action plan comes out of the Wildlife Corridors Act of 2019 and it identifies 11 priority safe passage projects to protect wildlife, also drivers, also important to mention. And these include underpasses, overpasses throughout New Mexico. So this is a concern that uh, we know a lot of folks have and you may not know a lot about. So you won't be able to say that after you listen to this interview. Again, Laura Paskus, our land correspondent, and Michael Dax, Western Program Director for the Wildlands Network. Hi, Michael. Thank you and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So hi, everyone. I'm here with Michael Dax. He's the Western Program Director for Wildlands Network. And we're going to talk about um, wildland corridors today. Um, The state has a new draft wildlife corridors action plan, and that's coming out from the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish and the New Mexico Department of Transportation. Um, Michael, I was wondering if you could kind of give me like the, what is it, the 10,000 foot overview of what this plan is? I generally say 30,000 foot, but we'll, I'll <laughs> give you the 10,000 foot version. Yeah, so in, uh, in 2019, um, Senator Mimi Stewart, Representative Georgine Lewis sponsored the Wildlife Corridors Act, which um, directed New Mexico DOT, New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, to put together this Wildlife Corridors Action Plan that identifies priority hotspots around the state um, where they could be, uh, where they should be building wildlife crossings, overpasses, underpasses, directional fencing that keep both drivers and wildlife safe. Um, so it's been a couple of years in the making, but um, the draft plan was released, I believe, at the beginning of uh, last week. Um, and so it's a 700-page document. Um, it, extremely detailed, um, a lot of great analysis, and the plan identifies 11 priority projects around the state. 
So five of those are based on wildlife vehicle collisions, places where you know it, it frequently drivers and animals are coming into conflict. And six of those projects are based on, you know, they call them wildlife corridors, but they're kind of more ecological projects. And they account for places where a highway is such a barrier that animals aren't even attempting to cross. So you're not going to see wildlife vehicle collisions, but from a, a large landscape conservation ecological perspective, they are significant barriers that need to be rectified. So we did a show in 2018 about the um, the project in Tijeras Canyon, and and I feel like that's such a good example to me of a place where humans were like, oh, we need to get through this pass. Let's build our highway through this pass, and it's a hugely important pass for wildlife um, to be moving back and forth between the Sandias and the Manzanos. Are there some other spots? I mean, I'm sure they're all over the state, but are there some other like real, real like um, trouble spots for collisions, but also like these places where we've kind of taken over the landscape? Totally. So I was actually just um, hiking at Three Gun Spring this past weekend on the north side of I-40 into Harris Canyon. You get a really cool view and understand, um, you know, in, in really clear terms how I-40 is just cutting through this otherwise wild landscape. Um, but to answer your question, going north of there, one of the, the projects that I'm really excited about um, is right at uh, Bernalillo, where US 550 and I-25 there essentially cut off the Sandias to the Jemez. Um, so the Pueblo of Santa Ana has done um, a significant amount of collaring over the year, over the years, and has been able to demonstrate that both 550 and I-25 are significant barriers. So that's another one of the priority projects that is one of those wildlife corridor projects. And so, um, if and when that is that is built, we will have essentially reconnected the Jemez to the Manzano Mountains, um, which historically, you know, wildlife would have been traveling that that whole corridor there, um, but with roads and other human development, has become significantly more difficult. Um, another project um, that was identified is I is on I-10, um, pretty much right on the Arizona-New Mexico border through the Palencios. And uh, the Palencios are north-south mountain range that run through the boot heel and then up north of I-10 and into Arizona. So when we think about continental connectivity of species like Mexican wolves and jaguars, the Palencios are absolutely essential. And then currently there's a population of bighorn sheep that is cut off um, because of I-10. So there, you know, there's bighorn sheep on the uh, the north side of the highway and the south side of the highway, but they're not able to to meet. And especially thinking about um, genetic exchange um, and genetic diversity of a small, relatively isolated population of bighorn sheep, that additional connectivity is really important. So the plan looks at. Um, uh bunch of species in particular, elk, deer, black bear, bighorn sheep, pronghorn, and mountain lion. Why are those the species that we're like specifically worried about? Um, for a number of reasons. Um, one, we have a, a lot of collar data, um, not only in New Mexico, but westwide demonstrating that those species make these really big seasonal movements. Um, oftentimes it's, you know, they're in the, the mountains in the summertime, 
in, in the lowlands in the wintertime and, you know, they're doing those movements back and forth. Um, those are also um, you know, species that are, are obviously very popular um, with the public, both from a wildlife viewing and a hunting aspect um, that we that we care about. Um, and they are you know, those bigger animals tend to be ones that move long distances a little bit more. Um, you know, I think that there are other species, you know, not necessarily ones that we have in New Mexico, but species like wolverines are known to travel really long distances. Um, but typically it's those large ungulate species that we see. And actually, um, you know, another one that you know, isn't named in the plan, but we've seen some really cool movements out of um, in the past couple of years is uh, moose, where um, up in the Northwest corner, there've been a handful of moose that have moved from Colorado down along the San Juan, the Animas River into Farmington and um, even as far west as Shiprock. That is so cool. Um, you mentioned the Pueblo of Santa Ana before. We did a show with the Pueblo a few years ago and um, gosh, just had the best time up on Santa Ana Mesa, um, looking at pronghorn where they're, you know, kind of tracking pronghorn movements with the reintroduction up there. But one of the guys we talked about there was talking about their collaring program and how they had this one mountain lion who was collared, who was essentially like making this huge loop for from like Cochiti, um, close to the Sandias, across 550. And, and it's just, I mean, it's extraordinary that these species have such a big range and that not all of them make it across 550, certainly, but like, I think they had this one who had like crossed 550, like, 50 times in the time that she was collared. And I just think like, Oh my gosh. So, so what do we do to make our roads safer for these species and in turn safer for drivers? So these, uh, the mitigation projects that are identified in the report are, are definitely the, um, you know, wh where we want to go overpasses, underpasses, directional fencing. So a lot of times there already are existing underpasses where roads go over washes, rivers, things like that. And then directional fencing, um, you might see uh, south of Cuba right now on US 550 or north of Aztec. Um, and I believe there's also you know, fencing into Harris Canyon. And this is eight foot high fencing that directs wildlife to use those overpasses or underpasses. So it's often not enough to just you know, put up the overpass, but make sure that animals are using them. And then I think what this report does that's pretty interesting is that it identifies both short and intermediate solutions in addition to those long-term permanent solutions. And so in places like um, Bent, um, uh, west of Rio Doso on US 70, that's a spot where elk will come out of the mountains and down into the lowlands during the winter time and has become a major collision spot for elk. Um, and so Game and Fish and DOT will put up temporary signs on the highway um, during those during those times of years to alert drivers, and what they have found is that signs, um, you know, those um, you know or, orange and black highway uh, message signs. If you leave those up all year round, drivers just get used to them and they're no longer effective. But if you're putting them up seasonally and, and strategically, then they are effective. So there's both you know mid and long term solutions that we could pursue, and then. You know, as uh, human development continues, whether it's roadways 
whether it's residential development, whether it's energy, be it oil and gas or renewable energy, citing those projects in a way to minimize the impact to migrating wildlife is really essential. And that's a body of science that we're only, you know, is only getting to that point where we could really implement um, the recommendations that are being developed. I'm curious what you think about like effective public education, because I know like, for instance, like you go hiking up in the Sandias, for instance, and like coming down, you know, kind of hike until sunset, driving down at dusk, and there's deer all over the place. I've had a bobcat um, run in front of my truck before. Um, and yet people are just like, no, I'm going to drive 50 up and down this road. And um, I'm just curious, like, how do we get people to maybe pay better attention to the fact that we're driving through um, different animals' habitat, especially when you're driving, like, um, early in the morning or at night or at, you know, kind of in that dusk period when they're really active? Totally. You know, there's no doubt that there's plenty of room and opportunity and need for a lot more public education. One thing that I'm kind of excited for and hopeful for is that when we do build the first overpass in New Mexico, the educational opportunity that that will present. So, you know, let's say we get to the point where we are building an overpass over I-25 just north of Bernalillo. Thousands of, of drivers are on that road every single day and see, you know, we'll have an opportunity to see that bridge. And I think when we think about wildlife movement, it's something that we're all aware of on, on some level, but most of us are not thinking about it at the population level, at the landscape level, and thinking about, you know, you know, of course, no one wants to hit an elk or a deer or, or any animal, um, but thinking not only about that individual, but about the population level of movements and the way our development is impacting those movements. And in New Mexico, where we're the land of enchantment, where our open spaces, where our, our vistas, where our wildlife are so core to our state's identity and what so many of us love about living here, um, there's no doubt that there's uh, a, a very high ceiling for New Mexico to take bold action and really take these uh, considerations into account when we're planning roads, when we're planning other forms of development. I saw one of those overpasses when I was in Montana a few years ago, and it really is like it makes you really stop and think about what's, or, you know, not stop on the road, but stop <laughs> your brain and think about what's happening all around you on the landscape. It really does seem like the, the infrastructure itself is, is a part of the public education as well. Um, so how long until we could maybe see some of these things happening around the state? Well, right now um, we're working with the administration, we're working with the legislature, as well as other advocacy groups to try to get some money in the budget um, this year. Of course, we have a, a another record surplus. Um, so we're, we're hoping that we'll be able to get some money dedicated to these projects. Um, it's hard to say exactly you know, when they'd be able to break ground based on other DOT um, construction activities and you know a lot of planning goes in as well as the engineering and design that would be needed um, to get to get us to that point but you know I'm hoping that within the next two three years we will be seeing um, some of the uh, some of the projects identified in the plan put on the ground 
And I, I, I really believe that, you know, getting to that first one's going to be the hardest. And then from there, the momentum's going to start rolling. Um, and there, you know, there's a, a lot of work to be done and a lot of um, excitement and momentum and energy behind it. So um, all signs are positive um, that, you know, in the next couple of years, uh, a lot of these solutions will be implemented. So we'll put um, on our, on, on Facebook, we'll put a link to the, the draft plan. There's also two public meetings coming up in early February. And then there's a public comment period, which I think is open until March 12th. Is there anything else that you really just want people to understand or know about what comes next or what we need to do? This is really focused on roadways and you know, roadways, I think, are you know, one of the biggest, you know, certainly one of the easiest to, to understand um, as far as what's limiting wildlife movement. But there are a lot of other factors that are out there. Um, barbed wire fencing, um, you know, the you know, residential development, recreation. You know, we're you know, we're really growing our recreation economy. And in the past couple of years, you know, more people than ever are getting outside. You know, I saw more of those um, UTV side by sides driving around on our roads this summer than I, than I had ever seen before. And so, you know, there are all these other impacts to wildlife movement um, that are a little bit harder to understand. The solutions aren't always as obvious. And so while this plan does a great job of tackling roads, it does start to identify some of those other places where there are data gaps, where we're not completely sure what might be affecting um, uh, wildlife um, wildlife's ab ability to move. And um, in the meantime, um, Mexico Game and Fish has been doing a lot more GPS collaring of elk, deer, and pronghorn around the state. And so that was initiated by Secretarial Order 3362, which was issued by Secretary Brian Zinke back in 2017. And so uh, we're kind of getting to that point where those collars have been on those animals for enough years that we can um, start making conclusions about that data. So we're certainly excited to work with Game and Fish um, with, with that data and start to put some solutions on the ground based on what we've learned. Um, so for example, you know, for anyone who knows the Via Vidal up north of uh, Taos and Cuesta, the Via Vidal is closed for the months of May and June for elk calving season. You know, it's, that's, you know, one of the major spots in the state to see elk. It's a once in a lifetime draw um, to hunt up there. And so we recognizing that we say, all right, no human disturbance for those months. You know, I'm kind of curious where else um, data will point to that being a management solution that will help our, our wildlife long-term. And then we think about impacts like climate change and drought, you know, where is, you know, water as a limitation impacting you know, the ability of species to move in places like the Boot Heel or um, Farmington in the Four Corners region. Um, so there's you know, not only research that, that needs to be done, but also habitat restoration that, that needs to be done to help our wildlife long-term. So there's a lot that this plan does, but there's so much more to wildlife connectivity that's going to require additional resources, um, additional attention. Um, so we, you know, and, and, and there's, there's support for all of that, but we still have to make those commitments. Well, awesome. Thank you. And thanks for bringing those um, additional issues up. I know there's a bunch of places on the west side of the Sandias that I hike and have hiked for 
decades where you used to see water pretty regularly and now there's just nothing and I wonder kind of where species have shifted or um, so thanks for bringing up all those other issues which are really important and we need to think about um, and thanks for joining me I'm excited to see what happens with this plan and and hopefully we'll talk again soon when there's some big stuff happening on the ground sounds good looking forward to it thanks Michael all right That'll do it for this episode of New Mexico and Focus the Podcast, but we'll have much more for you this coming week. Again, a lot of things about the legislative session as the action starts to get a little more fast and furious and bills move through the process. If there's something you want more information about in the legislative session or you just have questions, let us know. We can uh, go try to find those answers for you, bring that to you either on the show or here in the podcast. We should also mention that uh, off the top of our last episode, we talked about the state of the state and our Your New Mexico Government project, which is in collaboration with KUNM Radio. We'll be trying to keep you as up-to-date as possible on the legislative session. We also want to make the process of participating uh, very transparent and accessible as possible. And part of what we're doing is a podcast updates for that as well with Kaveh Mohawad of KUNM Radio. That'll be Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So there'll be one today. We'll get you all the information on that, but it'll be a great way to keep up to date on everything going on in the Roundhouse. Thank everybody over at KUNM. Also, our team here at New Mexico PBS. That's producers Lou DeVizio and Kathy Wimmer. Also, Laura Paskus, aforementioned Laura Paskus, and host Gene Grant. Our production team, led by production manager Anthony Lostetter, and the rest of the production team, Aaron Senna, Robert McDermott, Benjamin Cody Yaza, and Kevin Maestas. Appreciate all the work they put in each and every week. We'll be back with you again soon, but we appreciate you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy.